0: want is to know who stole my bell. Okay, that is a criminal offense. What? Who moved my bell? So I just have a a little bit of a suggestion to us. From now on, when we raise our hands to bless somebody, do it with two hands. If I'd walked in at that moment, I'd have thought, oh, Nazis. So, from now on, we do two hands, okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, if anybody got the wrong impression, we are not the National Socialist Party of America. Okay? Good. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving us time to spend in worship together, to spend in fellowship together, and now to spend in your word with your spirit. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So, one of my first ever science lessons I learned in life was as a kid when I was given a little one of these, a little bar, uh, horseshoe magnet, along with several little steel rods. Now, the one thing you need to know is that along with learning about magnetism, I stuck a piece of paper in my mouth and used it to roll that little steel bar up and down on the paper, which was just marvelous. I don't know how I did it but I swallowed the bar. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's somewhere down here. <laughs> Amazing thing about a magnet is that there's a force field around it that you cannot see, but it's there. And you take just an ordinary stone and you bring the stone to it, and if that stone can be magnetized, it'll connect with it. And then you bring another one close and they will connect. Now At the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, a miracle happens that we can use magnetism to illustrate. And I think Jesus would allow me, since he invented magnetism, to pretend this is Jesus, okay? And you're born as a dead stone. You have no spiritual life in you at all. You can try and earn your place in heaven. You can try and change yourself into a child of God. But just as a dead stone cannot make itself come alive, you cannot do that at all. When you come to Jesus who is God who gave his life as a sacrifice for us who was buried and rose again and who offers eternal life to all who believe in him. When you come to Jesus Christ what happens is that his life enters you and from that moment onward you have eternal life. You have Jesus' resurrection life inside of you for eternity. Now I can take this off but once you've believed in Jesus Christ you're there forever and you belong to Him. If you take your outline, I gave you an outline of Romans uh, chapter 12. If you take your outline, you discover that once you believed in Jesus Christ, you have now changed from being an independent, ordinary person into a born-again person who belongs to God. Perhaps we should always make sure people understand that before they believe in Jesus. Because from now on, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, and you belong to Jesus Christ. And so in Romans chapter 12, we read, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so, once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're born again and you have eternal life, his life, his resurrection life inside of you, and you will live for eternity. But you now belong to him. More than that, you now belong to one another. Because you see, once we believe in Jesus Christ, we are united to all other believers as well. And the same life that flows in us flows in them as well. And in Romans 12, he says, and you need to understand what God's will is for your life. Then he goes on to explain something really significant. And for centuries, the church seemed like they stopped reading at this point in time. They didn't keep reading. But if you read on, you discover something fascinating. That not only do you receive eternal life when you believe in Jesus Christ, but you also receive from him, and bear with me, His power to change the lives of other people. Imagine if you took Jesus and split him into millions of atoms. And the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you're given one atom of Jesus Christ inside of you. An atom that enables you to change the lives of other people. That's another way of illustrating the same thing. That the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you're no longer just an isolated person in relationship with God. You're now connected to other believers. And connected to those other believers, the life of Jesus Christ flows in you, through you, and through you into the lives of other people. And one of the words that the words used to describe this phenomena is called spiritual gifts. And what I want to do today is just walk you through a quick understanding of what spiritual gifts are. They're the God-given power entrusted to every believer to build the church. Right now, whether you're aware of it or not... That power of Christ that has flowed into you to give you salvation has also flowed into you to give you the supernatural power to change the lives of other people. Some of you already know what your gifts are. Some of you may never know what your gifts are. Just relax. Because as soon as you're in relationship with other believers and you connect to them life on life, your spiritual gifts will function anyhow. So this is a phenomenon for some reason that was lost to the church for centuries and then rediscovered. It's always been there in the Bible. It seems like each generation suddenly discovers something that everybody else had been missing. Just want to spend a few moments today just to walk you through what this is all about. (laughs) Give me back my power. All right. Thank you. And as you open the Bible, you'll discover that there are three main passages. First uh, First Corinthians chapters 12, 13, 14, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. As you come to these passages, there are a number of words that are used to describe this phenomena. First of all, it's called a grace gift. And if you fall asleep for the rest of the sermon, you've got to stay awake for this one. The gifts are given to us by an act of grace on God's part. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've earned it. It's not as sort of a reward for something you've done. The gifts are given to us as a grace gift. And In fact, the word grace and the word joy and the word gift are all related. Chara, charis, all related, the same words. So when people are given a spiritual gift, it's not because they deserve a gift that somebody else doesn't get. It's just simply God's choice of who gets what gift on the basis of His grace. And it's grace. He's given us something. Ephesians chapter 4 uses the description of Jesus as a conquering uh, hero. And as he rides into his, his victory ride, he shares his booty, the stuff that he has won in the war, with us. He gives to us these incredible gifts to be able to impact and change the lives of other people. It's called a service skill. Okay, It's not a toy for you to play with. It's not a trophy for you to show off about. It's something empowered by God to help you to serve other people. And it's a supernatural empowerment. You will notice that sometimes a spiritual gift and your natural talent may sink. And I'll tell you my story in a while, they don't sink at all, okay? So you may have a a natural talent or some kind of a natural skill you've developed and your spiritual gift may match it. Your spiritual gift may not match it at all. It may be something entirely different. We had a woman in our church here in Carlsbad who, because she was a, uh, an accountant, always volunteered to help to do the books of the church. Until one day she said, you know what, I'm always doing the books. I'm terribly bored with doing this. And so the pastor challenged her. He said, all right, right, look for something else to do. And she found out that we had a missions committee. By the way, we have a missions committee. So she joined the missions committee, and the light turned on. And from then on, she refused to ever look at the books From then on, she was involved in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. She had this gift inside of her that suddenly lit up. Supernatural. It came from nowhere. But once she got into the right environment, that gift lit up. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. These are all biblical terms, by the way. They reveal the Spirit of God inside of you. They don't reveal something about you that deserved it. They reveal something of the Spirit of God inside of you. And as we'll see in a moment, it's called a measure of faith. God chooses who gets what gift or gifts. God chooses how much of that gift each person gets. For example, Billy Graham. When he did the crusade in Philadelphia back in the 80s, my church was used as the base for training people. And his staff said about Billy Graham, they said he could stand up and read the phone book and people would get saved. (laughs) Because he had this incredible power of evangelism. And his power of evangelism was off the charts, enormous. And so the measure of faith is God gives each of us a certain degree of, of these gifts and it's called a measure of faith, and I'll come back to it in a moment, because sometimes in order for our gift to show up in our lives, we have to take a step of faith. We have to go beyond our comfort zone in order to see it. So right now, understand this, that if you believed in Jesus Christ, a capacity of Jesus to change the lives of other people has been implanted inside of you, and it's there. And if you're connected life on life with other believers, it's already functioning But we want to make sure that it gets sharper and that it gets used a little bit more strongly. Now, you say, well, why doesn't God all give everybody the same gifts? Well, because the way God works is that he creates unity out of diversity. He deliberately gives different gifts to different people in order to build us up. The Bible uses, and you'll see in a moment, the analogy of a human body. If we were all the ear, that poor ear would never be able to go anywhere. Okay, if we were all an eye, you'd never be able to hear anything. If you are only a foot, you could hop along maybe, but there'd be nothing else accomplished. The human body, diversity makes up the entire human body, and each part has its part to play, specifically designed by God. Paul goes on after telling us we belong to God. He says, no, we belong to each other. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, he's focusing us in on spiritual gifts. And the problem in the church in Rome and the problem in the church in Corinth was a similar problem. That some people got really spectacular gifts. There were some people who speak in foreign languages they had never learned. And that was absolutely astounding. It happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell, first fell upon people. The disciples ran out of that house telling people the wonders of God in languages they had never learned. And the people knew that this was a miracle because these were all Galileans, and Galileans had an accent. Now, there's some people in our country who have southern accents. There's some people who have northern accents, and you can tell pretty much where they come from. You can tell people from Texas because they have a flat accent. Sorry, Texans. They have a flat (laughs) accent. As people heard, these, these people coming out, from the upper room after the Spirit of God fell on them. They were speaking foreign languages, but they were speaking with Galilean accents. And the people were astonished, how can you do that? There was no way to learn a language in those days. To learn a language, you had to live in a culture for almost your whole life and absorb it. And as you absorbed it, you absorbed the the, the, uh, um, accent as well. And the people were going, what in the world? How did this happen? And the apostles could simply say, this is a miracle. This is the work of God. Just as he promised that when his spirit came, we would speak in other languages. So some people in the Corinthian church and the Roman church could speak in foreign languages. Some people were incredible teachers. And when they began to teach, people could go, oh, I understand. Some people were prophets in that they spoke directly from God. God gave them his word for the church and they spoke directly. Extremely spectacular. What was happening, though, is that when they came together in church, everybody wanted the platform. So those who were prophesying wanted the platform. They wanted to prophesy. Those who wanted to teach wanted to teach. Those who were speaking in tongues wanted to speak in tongues. And so you have total chaos, literally, in the church. With everybody talking at once. And Paul says, okay, wait, wait, wait. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, he's not telling us you need to break yourself down. You need to develop a poor self-image. That's not at all what he's talking about. What he's talking into this particular environment where he says, okay, wait. Just because you may have a spectacular gift... And by the way, at that point in time, the gift of miracles was happening. The gift of healings was still happening. Just because you have a spectacular gift, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay? Bring your understanding of your gifts into line with the fact that it is by grace that God has given this to you. And it's he's measured out who's to get what. So, for example, there would be some prophets who were jealous of this prophet. He can speak more clearly for God. And he gets more messages from God than I do. Why don't I get that? Well, because your measure of faith is different. With me there? So one teacher would have a big measure of faith and another teacher would have a small measure of faith. Some people could speak in multiple languages and others could speak in just one or two. So there was this incredible, miraculous thing happening, but it was causing chaos. Instead of it bonding the church and making them stronger, they were splitting and arguing about all of this. And so Paul now begins to bring it under control by telling them just whatever gift you've got Don't be arrogant about it. It's been given to you because God has given it to you by his choice and he's given you the measure that is specific for you. He says, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and members is talking about, you know, organs and uh, and so on, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others you are significant in the life of every single believer in this church because you belong to them, and God has given you capacity to help them grow in spiritual maturity that only you have, perhaps. So you've got that particular gift here. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is in serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. Okay, now, we're each given a gift. It's given by grace. It's not given because you deserve it. It's not given because for some reason God God favors you. You're just given a gift. (laughs) Did I tell you about that little bumper? that little button I found? Just love it. It says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) And that's what was happening. People who had spectacular gifts were going, I'm his favorite. He gave me this gift, okay? Now, some of these gifts, as you you watch church history, some of these gifts functioned in an incredible way at first, but once the Bible was written, it changed. So those who prophesied were people who were receiving a direct information from God that was for the entire church. So prophecy was forth the word of God as it was given to them, and it was for the entire church. But as time went on, that gift began to change. Once the whole New Testament had been written and the Bible had been completed, prophesying changed that instead of direct hotline from God, prophets were now speaking from the scriptures. So they, were, they still had the hotline, but it came through the written word of God, and they were speaking as prophets. There are a couple of people I read who up today still have the gift of prophecy. They speak into the life of the church in ways that you go, yes! And in ways that you go, ooh, I couldn't believe it, Because they've got that kind of strong word for us today. Same thing with tongues. The whole thing of speaking in, in foreign languages was in order to, for the people to be able to present the good news of God, the gospel of Christ to other people. But once people from other cultures learned and believed in the gospel and could now speak in their own languages, the gift of tongues began to fade. So much so that by the third century, some of the church fathers said, we have no idea what this is talking about. We have no, because it's no longer happening in the life of the church. And so the gift of tongues tended to, to go back. God can still break through. I've heard two credible accounts of somebody who stood up and spoke in a foreign language he had never learned and presented the gospel to somebody and led them to faith in Christ. One was Greek and one was Zulu. And in both cases, people were saved as a result of that. God can override anything. But the, but the use of, of tongues seemed to shrink over time and disappear. Let me say one more thing. Notice that he says, uh, if your your gift is serving, let him serve. That doesn't mean we go, oh, 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 I don't have the gift of serving. So therefore, I don't have to serve. I don't have to pick up a chair. I don't have to help at all because I don't have the gift. You'll see also the giving is one of the gifts. You go, oh, cool. I didn't get the gift of giving. (laughs) So I don't have to give. Okay, one thing to understand is whatever we read here we're to be doing anyway whether you have the gift of giving or not we're all supposed to give if whether you have the gift of serving or not we're all supposed to serve whether you have the gift of teaching or not we're all to offer ourselves in a position to teach others and to pass on the truth we have so you guys with me there what happens is there are a ton of responsibilities. All of us carry all of those responsibilities. Some of us are given spiritual gifts that enhance our ability to do this thing or this thing over here. and so. But it still doesn't exclude us from doing these other ministries. He says, if it is encouraging, let him encourage. We're all supposed to encourage one another, and we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks' time. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is in showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In other words, whether you've got the gift or not, you're supposed to do these things. If you've got the gift, you've got to do it in a spirit where I'm using something God has entrusted to me, not for myself, but for others and for the the people of the church. All right, now, you say, well, move on. What are the gifts? Let me understand what the gifts are. As you read those passages, uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, interesting thing is the lists that are given there are all different. And for that reason, I believe that the lists are simply suggestive, they're not exhaustive. This is some of the gifts that Paul could, could speak of, the writers could speak of at that point in time, but they're just suggestive. They're not complete because there's lots of things that happen in the life of a church that you say, well, which gift does that fit in? For example, music. In not music help us? Oh, my gosh, play violin, play guitar, play drums, play keyboards, be able to sing. What is that? I don't know. What spiritual gift is it? I don't know, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's encouraging, who knows? So it's kind of hard to put a particular label on some things. But there are some gifts that are labeled. And again, I believe it's suggestive, not exhaustive. And the reason why I think it's important is that even if you never are able to say, this is my particular gift, don't sweat it. As long as you're involved life on life with other believers, your gift's functioning, even if you can't put a label to it. But here's some of them. Service, which means that I serve you. I vacuum the floor, I clean up after the meal, I put away tables and chairs. I don't ever consider myself to be above serving others. Encouragement. Life discourages every single one of us every single day. The number of people who are suffering from depression has gone up exponentially as we've got more wealthy. Isn't that interesting? You think we get more wealthy, we have more conveniences in our lives. You finally get yourself an iPhone, and you think you're in heaven, but you're not. People still suffer from depression. (laughs) The amount of suicides is going up. And part of it is because our world doesn't know how to encourage one another. We're really good at discouraging. We're really good at pointing out fault. But we're very poor at encouraging. And so some people are given this gift, that they simply encourage others by being around them. We're all to do it. Wisdom. Wisdom is just, is is a step beyond knowledge. Knowledge is knowing something. Wisdom is how to use that knowledge. What was, Dick, what was yours? Knowledge means I know that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom means I don't put it in my fruit salad. Isn't that a great illustration? I love that. Faith, the capacity to believe. We're all to believe and all trust. But some people have this amazing capacity to believe God, to do things like we go, don't do that. Remind me to tell you sometime about the man who asked us to pray for the walls for his building to fall up. And you go, really? He wanted you? Yeah, Vernon Nickelman was his name. He made us walk around the piece of property where he wanted his building to fall up. It needed—it had steel A-frame girders that were already in place, but he couldn't afford a, a, a crane to lift him into place. And so he made us walk around the, the parameters of the building and sing and pray the opposite of the city of Jericho and pray and ask God to make the walls fall up. I felt really stupid. I've got to tell you that, okay? Here I'm singing and praying, saying, God, make the walls fall up. That was Sunday afternoon, Sunday night a man knocked on his door and said, Sir, can you help me, please? I have an 18-wheel truck outside. It's about to break down. Can I park park it on your property? And Vernon said, Sure. And as the 18-wheeler pulled onto his property, guess what was on the back of the 18-wheeler? A crane. And so Vernon said, Can I use your crane? And the man said, Sure. And that week, the walls fell up. Many times we saw him doing that. Healings in the early days, people could, Paul Paul could walk in to a hotel, a hotel, (laughs) (laughs) hospital. And and they had the power to walk past and heal people, heal people, heal people, heal people. And they were healed completely forever of, of whatever disease they had. That began to shrink over time. The gift of miracles began to shrink over time as the church began to function and the necessity of those kind of supernatural acts began to shrink. God still answers. When we pray, He still heals. When we pray, He still performs miracles. But they changed a bit. Prophecy, spiritual discernment, the ability to be able to tell whether somebody truly of God or not. Tongues, the, the ability to speak in foreign languages. Interpretation of tongues, the ability to understand what somebody else is saying. Giving, helps, mercy, leadership, hospitality, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. These are the many gifts. Apostle is an interesting one. The apostles were people who were officially representatives of Jesus Christ who went into the new territories. And I think when you talk about a missionary doing that, they may have a gift of apostle to be able to do that. Prophet speaks for God. Evangelist can lead people to Christ. Pastor is somebody who shepherds God's people. Teacher, you know what a teacher is. Okay, so that's, the, that's taken from those lists. That's just a compilation, but I don't think it's exhaustive. I think there are so many gifts that if God were to list them all, it would just take too many books to do it. You've got some kind of a supernatural capacity inside of you that Jesus will use to touch and to change the lives of other people, whether you have a label on it or not. You say, but, 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 but. I want to discover my gift. All right, so let me tell you how to discover your spiritual gifts. Get involved, okay? Do the work of the church. Connect yourself life on life with other people. Be ready to step out in faith. As you get more and more immersed into the life of other believers, your spiritual gifts will kick in and will begin to function. Whether you know what they are or not, they will be there, and you will begin to change the lives of other people. There's something incredible about being together. Have you ever... Let me just tell you my story. We kept talking about fellowship. We need to do fellowship. We need to put groups together, and we did fellowship, and we did Bible study and say, are we having fellowship? It's like, I don't know, but that's what we're doing. (laughs) And then the fire swept through uh, San Diego, and several members had family members whose houses were burned. And so they asked us to go and help. And so we went out in teams. help on those properties, help to clean up the mess, help to clean out the dirt, just do whatever is necessary to help those people. We worked all day. We came home filthy dirty from doing that. And you know what was interesting? We had fellowship. Everybody was filled with, I don't know what happened today. But that was such a wonderful experience. We didn't study the Bible at all. We didn't pray at all. We didn't sing at all. But for some reason, being together that day, serving together, there was something bonding that happened. That's what happens when God's people are together serving God like that. So do the work of the church. If we ask you to teach Sunday school, come on. Don't be such a, a what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> help us. Come there and do that. Come help us help in the kitchen. Do whatever is necessary. Connect life on life with other believers. And step out in faith. Try something different. Try something new. But then watch this. Watch for joy. The word gift and the word joy are exactly the same. They come from the same root. Charis and Chara come together. When you're using your gift, you will love doing that. I had a friend, his name is, is, maybe I shouldn't mention Earl Swain's name, but oh well. (laughs) Earl Swain was a member of my church in Dallas while I was in, in seminary. I was their student ministry pastor. And then God called us to go to with a mission to go back to South Africa, and I needed financial support. And for eight years, Earl Swain supported us $250 a month for eight years. During that period of time, his partner uh, in, in a business that he had had, his partner stole and forced the business into bankruptcy. We never missed a check. He never missed a payment. And I think it was about the third time I told Earl, Earl, thank you for, for supporting us. Earl went, stop. He said, do you understand? I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for Jesus. And do you understand you don't have to thank me? I love giving money. It wasn't just me. He gave money everywhere that he possibly could. And you find people like that. Dear Lord, please send us several of them. <laughs> People who give, and there's joy in their giving. People who teach, people who help. Whatever they do, there's joy, and so watch for it. When you are functioning in your gift area, you'll find you love doing it. One of our elders' name was, was oh Johnny. I came into the church one day, and Johnny, one of the elders, one of the high-ups in our church, was washing the toilets. And I said, Johnny, why do you do this? We can hire somebody to do this. And Johnny went, I love cleaning the toilets. Not because I love toilets, but because I love serving God. And so he would come in, clean the toilets, vacuum the place, clean, tidy up the whole thing. That's what he did. It was joy attached to it. Watch for impact. As you use your spiritual gift, you'll notice that people's lives are going to be affected by you being around them. And then watch for confirmation. People will begin to tell you. You know, when you do this for me, or when you do this, I'm tremendously encouraged. And so people will begin to give you feedback that this is your area of gift. <laughs> On the flip side, if you don't get any confirmation from others, maybe that's not your gift. Try <laughs> find something else to do. And if you're wanting, well then let me get started. Well, ta-da! We've got many opportunities for you here to figure out what your gift is. You can help us with children's ministry. With student ministry, you can help us with our worship ministry. Greeters and ushers, connection groups, hospitality. That's just a a smattering of the opportunities that are available here as part of our church for you to do it. By the way, your gift may involve leading us out there to do something. So keep that in mind. Okay, so you may have a gift where you say, I want us to help doing this. And then that's how you do your gift. Um, we had somebody for for years in our church who wanted us to be involved in feeding the homeless. And so we were constantly involved in finding ministries where we could go and we could help the feed the homeless. (laughs) We did one event on the beach in Oceanside where we were feeding the homeless, and somebody had donated bicycles that we were giving away, and so we handed up lottery tickets to people. Okay, If, If you win, we'll give you a bicycle. And that man who led us there, I won't use Jeff's name, Jeff Eggenberger, but he as well. <laughs> Jeff was one of the movements to take us out there to help do something out there. He kept coming to me with a lottery ticket and said, have you got your tickets yet, sir? I said, I'm not one of the homeless. He said, oh, okay. <laughs> so you may have something that God has planted in your heart that is out there. And God has got you with that passion in order to take us out of our little... Ghetto into the world to be able to do that kind of ministry. All right. So, as Paul was dealing with these churches, the the, it, the gifts were flying everywhere, and so what what Paul had to do was to say, All right, now now that this is happening, what we need to do is we need to bring some order out of the chaos. You read Genesis through Revelation. God is a God who steps into chaos and he brings order. Steps into chaos, brings order. And so, what, what Paul did was he had to bring all of this under control. And as he did it, he began to outline certain um, things that they had to do to bring it under control. For example, tongues. No more than three in any service, no more than one at a time. What is said is must be interpreted, what is interpreted must be applied, must be balanced by scripture. So, he set out a number of rules. People don't like rules. Have you ever noticed that? People don't like rules. One of the churches back in my distant past, the worship leader would show up on Sunday looking as if he'd just crawled out from under his car. Oh, my gosh. It was just like, oh. And after about the third week of him crawling out from under his car and coming to lead worship, I told him, hey, I need you to dress more neatly on Sunday morning. Now, my problem was he was a baby boomer. Baby boomers don't like rules. And he was a former hippie. And hippies went, We come to church as we want to come. We come dressed as we are because God accepts us as we are. I said, That's true, but Raymond doesn't accept you as you well. <laughs> are. <laughs> said, You know, if somebody comes in here dressed in rags, we welcome them. If they're not a believer, not, you know, we welcome them as they are. But once you step into leadership, we expect you to dress in a way that is in balance with the congregation, a step higher than the congregation. I think that was the second last conversation I ever had with him. He was gone. No way in the world was he about to go and buy some decent clothes and dress up. We had another guy who I told him, he he always came out on the platform with flip-flops on. Now, I was new to California, okay? Um, so I came from a place where we wore shirt and tie every Sunday. And here's my worship leader coming out with flip-flops on. He said, would you, would you mind wearing shoes in the future? He said, I don't have any. I said, would you mind wearing shoes in the future? He said, I don't have any shoes. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? You don't own any shoes? No. Nope. said, "Right, right, we'll buy you shoes. Just go buy some shoes, put them on. Okay, people don't like rules. But Paul said, in order to be able to bring this chaos under control, I'm going to lay out a thing called the principle of excellence. In First Corinthians 14, he said, everything should be done in decent, which means attractive and orderly manner. When you come together as a church, make sure that you function as a, in a way and Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, if people walk in and you're all talking in tongues, they're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you're mad. He says that's why he brought the control under. And so he says, when you, when you function as a church, make sure that you do everything decent. And that word, the opposite, is indecent. Okay? So you can get a, a grasp of it. Make it so that whatever, however you function, whatever you do, you do it in an attractive and orderly manner. And then people say, I don't like rules. Well, that's why in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is 1 Corinthians 13, in which he teaches the priority of love. He said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So, here's what this message is about. You've been gifted with a supernatural capacity to contribute to the growth of the church in maturity and in numbers. You have at least one, maybe multiple, spiritual gifts. Which means that you're a magnetic personality. Have you ever thought of that? You've got the ability to attract people toward Jesus Christ. And you are vitally needed because of your gifts. I found out later on in life that I, as a kid, probably had ADD. I'd taken my son to be tested and found out, yeah, he had ADD. But I was listening to the psychologist testing him, and I said, could you test me too? So he took me through a test, and then at the end of it, he said, you know what? You probably were an ADD kid. And it's like, ah oh, no wonder I sat at the back all the time and stared out the window and couldn't wait till class was over. I was just like, oh, let me out of this place. I cannot stand being stuck in a room. That's why you still find me. I sit at the back. my ADD still there to some degree. But when you're an ADD kid, you don't learn how to study. I had no idea how to study. This is my confession to you. I squeaked out of high school. I mean literally just squeaked out of high school. Barely made it out. So here you've got somebody who's, who's got ADD. Somebody who has no idea how to study. Somebody who can't stand being in school. Somebody who's an introvert. Now do you know what an introvert is? An introvert is somebody who recharges by being alone. An extrovert is somebody who recharges by being around people. Okay? That's, that's a basic dis- distinction between them. So, ADD, poor student, introvert. And I'm also very private. I don't like you to know anything about my personal life. So what gift would you give to such a person? A person who has ADD, a person who doesn't know how to study, a person who doesn't like, who gets recharged by being alone, not around people, and somebody who's very private and doesn't want to let anybody know about him. No, gift of teaching. So soon after I became a believer, something began to happen. Weird. My uncle ran a Sunday school. He said, Can you teach a class? So I taught the class and was like, Huh, that was fun. And so said, would you mind doing it again? It's like, oh, you mean I get to do it again? Okay, I'll do it again. And then I was part of another church, and the youth leader asked me to help him lead the youth, junior hires. And then he gave me the junior high responsibility, and it was like, I love this. And then senior high, I love doing this. And I had no idea that something miraculous was happening inside of me. If you had told me back then before Jesus came into my life, if you told me, you know what you're going to do for a living? You're going to go four years of college, then you're going to go on to four years of seminary, and then for the rest of your life, you're going to spend every week studying to stand up in front of people and to teach them, and as you do so, you're going to reveal private things about your life. If you had told me that back then, I'd have said, never going to happen. If you told me, yeah, it's going to happen, I'd have run like crazy. But as I began to teach with high schoolers, they began to feedback that that helped me so much and then our youth pastor, youth leader youth director of the church came to me and he said have you ever thought of going into ministry and I was like no I'm going to the mines I'm going to be a gold miner just like my grandfather just like my dad I'm going to the gold mines and he said to me you need to think seriously about going into ministry and then the light turned on wow all right I'll try and so for me, the last thing in the world I would have given Raymond was a gift of teaching or a gift of leadership, which is another one, gift of evangelism. Those are some of my gift mix that I've got. I would never have given them to Raymond because Raymond was not the kind of person that needed those gifts. But God has got such a sense of humor, doesn't he? That God just decided, all right, I'm going to give you these gifts because you will always know that they didn't come from you. They came from me. We don't know. Some of you may be able to identify what your gifts are. Some of you are already getting a feel for what it is. That's wonderful. That doesn't mean that from now on you just drift, okay? I had to learn how to study. I really did. I came over here to to college and I had to learn, how do you study? I was in sheer panic because the US government had an agreement that if I did not get certain high grades, they would make me leave the country and go back to South Africa. Boy, talk about the first semester of sweating like crazy. Oh, my gosh. Not only did I have to study, I had to find out, how do you study? And then God gave me all of those kind of assistance along the way. Whatever your gift is, it doesn't mean you're perfectly able to use it. You need to develop that skill, develop that ability, and hone it so that you become better and better at being able to do it. And so, here's the bottom line. You have been given the supernatural capacity of Jesus Christ to change the lives of other people. And as long as you bring yourself in constant contact with Jesus and with his people, that gift is going to flow and is going to touch the lives of the people around you. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and we're going to close with a song in just a moment. I hope the worship team's out there somewhere. Okay, good. Any questions or testimonies about this?